Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for, for joining us this morning for worship. Uh, it is good to see so many of you here this morning with us. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we do ha- uh, we'd love to hear from you, get some more information about you. Uh, we have some cards in the back on your way out. If you wouldn't mind filling one of those out for us so we can just get to know a little bit more about you. But we are thankful that you're here. Uh, glad to have you visiting with us this morning. want to give you a few announcements for you before we begin. Uh, you can see in your bulletin at the beginning of the week, we have a, a busy Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week. Uh, Women's Fellowship meeting tomorrow night. Uh, we have growth group on Tuesday and choir practice on Wednesday, which it is good to have you back up with us this morning. <laughs> it's good to have the choir back. Um, I know that Jessica has, has announcements for you, so I'll turn it over to her. Any other announcements this morning? Thanks, Steve. Uh, two things I have uh, to finish up with our announcements. If you are, in light of what Steve has said, if you, if you are leading any, any committees or any, any groups, any teams, I know that the last year and a half, two years because of COVID, we've had to dial everything back. Um, so we haven't had VBS and we haven't had choir and we haven't had so many things that before COVID were, were such a crucial part to our ministry and to our church life. 
Um, as we look towards 2022, uh, we are hopeful by God's grace to be able to get some of those things back up and running. Um, so if you are on leadership for any of those groups, begin thinking of what starting that back up will look like. Because that's what we're, we're wanting to get things back up and running a little bit more efficiently and more, more like it was. Um, because there's, there's work to be done. And then uh, my last announcement that I have is our Christmas Eve service is coming up, uh, obviously, on the 24th. If you have uh, little ones, children that would like to be a part of the Christmas Eve program, uh, we're working on very simple plans, putting that, that service together. So if you have kids that would like to be a part of it, uh, Paige, Jessica Black, or Denise, I would love to talk to you about it. Just let them, one of them know so that they can uh, account for that and get, get the kids involved that way. Uh, if there's no other announcements this morning, uh, let us begin. I want to read to you from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. This is what it says. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels look to long, or long to look. Excuse me. Now let me pray for us as we begin our worship service. Father, we come to you this morning thankful, thankful for all of the many blessings that you've given us, all of the things that you have have provided. But God, yet here we are, we come to you yet again in need, in need of grace, in need of mercy, in need of clarity, in need of insight, in need of strength, in need of forgiveness, in need of so much that only you, our Father, can provide. So Father, provide for your children, provide for us this morning. Bless us during this time of worship. Help us, your people, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Proclaiming the, the beauty and the wonder of your gospel, which we have in your word. Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, let us, uh, as we begin, let's sing together. Our first hymn this morning is hymn 153, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Please stand and sing.
Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, Karen is going to come forward. If our, if our young ones, our children want to come forward, Karen's going to lead us in our Advent wreath. Good morning. You coming, Nora? Uh, Hudson, you're a little bit behind here. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. Okay. So today we're going to talk about the peace, Chris Mom. Okay? The crown and the dove with the olive branch. We're going to read the scripture from Micaiah 5, 2 through... 2 through 5. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall turn, return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. So Rachel's going to help me today, and she's going to light the second candle. And it's the second purple candle. Can you do that for me? There should be something there to help. Okay, so do you ever feel little? Yes? Nora feels little. Maybe you've heard your mom and dad say you can't do that until you're bigger or more grown up. Well, there was a group of people in the Old Testament that felt that way about a lot. They weren't picked to win any battles or to become kings or queens. They were too small. They were so small that their own family forgot they were forgot they were even there sometimes. Do you think you're so little that mom or dad sometimes forget you're around? No. Probably make a lot of noise to make up for that. <laughs> she Nora's the one. Okay. But hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God promised his son the king would be born in their town called Bethlehem. So, now we're going to talk about our Christmas. So, what is this Christmas? Anybody know? Crown. Thank you, Eddie. Why do you think we hang this on our tree? That's right, because Jesus is king. If you were going to look for a king or a queen, or maybe even a princess, where would you go look first? Well, that's a good thought. What possible places would you look for a king? Yep, England. What do they have in England where the queen lives? Yeah, so where does she live? In a palace? In a castle, yeah. Thanks, Jesse. So when God told us that he would send a king, he didn't send him to a big city. 
but to a little village. He didn't send him to the palace, but to a barn. He didn't even have a nice comfy bed to sleep in, but slept in a box that the animals ate out of. Did y'all know that's what the manger was? It's a box that the animals eat out of. But you know what? Even though Bethlehem was small, and even though Jesus was born in a barn, and even though his first bed was a manger, Jesus is our king. Okay, so there's the crown. Okay, so here's another chrismon that we're looking at. What do you think this chrismon is a picture of? What is it? Okay. All right, it's a dove. A dove with an olive branch. Okay. That's a weird-looking dolphin, Eddie. Okay, so do you know what this has been used to symbol for peace, for hundreds of years, possible thousands of years? What does the peace mean? Possible answers are calmness. Peace means calmness to you. Quiet. Peace is a feeling. We is a feeling when we realize we don't need anything else. We are complete and there's nothing missing. Jesus, because he died and rose again for us, is our peace. And we don't need anything or anyone else as long as we have him. We celebrate Christmas because he came to be our peace. God kept his promises and his son was born so that we could have peace. That's why when the angels came and told the shepherds about the birth of Christ... They sang out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those who are with him, with whom he is pleased. Okay, so we're going to close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us your dove with an olive branch of peace and the crown that is to represent Jesus who you have sent for us. Thank you for these children today, and we pray that you would bless them as they go on their way. Thank you. Amen. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Karen. Uh, Michael and Rachel are headed down to the nursery with any of our young ones under four uh, that would like to join them. Uh, They'll be downstairs with them. In the front of your hymnal. Uh, you will find a copy of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, here at Bear Creek, we, we say the Apostles' Creed uh, together every week because it reminds us of what it is that we gather around, the truths that we proclaim, the truths that we believe. And so, and then right after we say the Apostles' Creed, we sing the doxology together. Uh, since you're seated, I'm going to ask you to stay seated while we read the Creed, but as Lynn begins playing the doxology, if you would please stand and sing the doxology immediately following. So say the Apostles' Creed aloud with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, 
the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. standing and sing our next hymn together with me. It is hymn 189, Angels from the Realms of Glory. have your your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. For these uh, four Sundays in Advent, we are looking at the first chapter of John, really the first 18 verses of the first chapter. Uh, Last week, we began in looking at the first five verses. This morning, we are looking, our focus will be on verses 6, 7, and 8. But what I want to do as we go through these Advent Sundays is actually start at the beginning of verse 1 and just add to it what we'll be looking at each Sunday. So I'm going to read, begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read all the way through, through verse 8. This is what John says in his prologue to the Gospel. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Let us seek the Lord's help as we come to his word this morning. Father, as I stand here before your people with your word open, and I come seeking help. Now, would you give strength to my voice? Would you give power to the words that I speak, that they be your words? Would your spirit move among your people this morning, that your word would go forth and not return empty, that it would bear fruit in the lives of your people? God, give us humility that we not put ourselves above this word, but we submit our lives and our hearts to it. For you, Jesus, are our King. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Christmas is a special time, isn't it? You know, you know how I know that Christmas is a special time? Because the word special is plastered everywhere around Christmas. (laughs) I mean, just think about it. We have special Christmas aisles at the stores, which are filled with special decorations that we only use this time of year. These decorations are put out at October 1st for twice the price. And then on December 26th, they're sold for half the price before miraculously disappearing on December 27th. That's special. We have special Christmas foods cookies and roasted chestnuts and fruitcake and figgy pudding, which leaves you with special Christmas pounds that you spend the rest of the year trying to get off in place of in time for next Christmas. That's special. Then we have special Christmas clothes. We have Christmas pajamas and coats and sweaters that are that used to be ugly, but now we celebrate them with parties and we turn them on. I mean, let's face it, if your Christmas sweater doesn't power on, I don't think you have the right idea for a Christmas sweater. I see this word special more and more on TV, it seems, than anything else. Every sitcom, every TV show has a, their, special, their Christmas special episode where whatever happens on the, on the show takes place around the, the time of Christmas. Now, of course, we believe that Christmas is special, and I hope that I don't have to convince you here that it is. It's the day that we celebrate the entrance of God into his creation as a human. Where God, the light of the world, enters the darkness of our broken world to save us from sin and death. But you see, before there was Jesus, before, the, before Jesus began his earthly ministry, there was his forerunner, a man that we know as John the Baptist. And this morning, in these three verses of, of John chapter 1, we are given this highlight of of John's identity and purpose. And what I want you to see this morning is that they were both very special. That John the Baptist was a special man who was given a special purpose. We also must remember that John, even though with this special purpose and special identity, he was still only a man. You see, at times God calls special men and women to serve his special purposes. 
But ultimately, everyone called by God is called to exalt Christ and not themselves. So let me show you here in these verses where, where we see this. So first we see that John was a special man. We, we have to look at John the Baptist's life and think, and we must say there was certainly something special about him. I mean, think about it. He lived in the wilderness. He wore camel hair clothing and ate locusts with wild honey while preaching to anyone who would hear him. Is, is, is special the right word then? I mean, he takes the, the street preacher to a whole new level of special. And yet, Jesus says in Matthew 11 that he tells his disciples, he said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So maybe special is the right word. But what, what makes John the Baptist so special? We're given two descriptions of him here in verse 6. First, he was sent from God. Three powerful words that are only used to describe sort of the, the best of the best of God's people. Men and women that would be included on this list are Moses and Joshua, all of the judges, Samuel, David, all of the prophets, even Jesus himself. All of these men are, are included as sent by God. And so John the Baptist is included on this very special list. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be sent by God? Well, before he was born, God has, had already written his life story. He had already given him purpose, which we'll come back in, to in a minute. But more than that, John's, John's commissioning was unique. See, he's the first man sent by God, the first one who can claim that, that title in over 400 years. We must remember that Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, God sent Malachi to Israel, and then for 400 years, God was silent. He didn't send anybody else. No one else came until John came. And we know that he was sent by God in the spirit and power of Elijah. The last words of Malachi say, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This is all fulfilled in God sending John to Israel. So we know that, that he's special because he was sent by God. We also know that his name was John. Every gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all give some sort of evidence or speaking of John the Baptist. John is the only one who doesn't add the title the Baptist on the end of his name. And you would think, well, that might get confusing because the author John is John, and we have John the Baptist John, and also, James and John, it goes on and on and on and on and on throughout the, the gospel. But in John's gospel, the reason he doesn't is because John never refers to himself as John. Whenever it comes across in the gospel of John that he's speaking of himself, he always refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And this is not a, a, a cry of, of a boast or arrogance. This is simply John saying that my life was forever altered when the fact that Jesus set his love on me, that what I want people to know about me more than anything else is not my name, but I want them to know that Jesus has loved me. But why was John the Baptist named John? In Luke's gospel, in chapters 1 and 2, we, we are given this miraculous account of John's birth and the events leading up to it. Because you see, John's father, Zechariah, was a priest in the temple. His mother, Elizabeth, was barren. 
And they both were very old and didn't have children. And the time of childbearing had long since passed. And while Zechariah is in the temple fulfilling his duty, praying before the altar, the angel Gabriel comes and appears to him and, and speaks to him. It says, says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. See, as great great a news as this would be to a man in Zechariah's shoes, Zechariah says, "This this is too good to be true. And so the angel Gabriel makes him mute until his son is born. Unable to speak for nine months, completely silent. We learn there that John the Baptist was called John because God had named him before he was ever born, before he was conceived. He was named because God had brought him to life in a place where life could not be found. The barren womb of an old woman. I think with this in mind, we we would have to say, just based on verse 6, that John was in fact a very special man. And God still calls and appoints men and women in special ways. He calls people to to ministry. He appoints pastors and elders and deacons. He calls Sunday school teachers and church leaders and servants. Jesus instructed his own disciples. He said, pray that the Lord would send laborers for the harvest. Which means that even today, God is raising up and calling and sending those laborers among his people. And it might be you. B, I think that we have to understand that if God is calling us, one thing that we must do is be open to the calling of God in our lives. He might be calling you to vocational ministry, to serve as shepherds in our church. He might be calling you to a single or a special period of of ministry or missions whether that be across the ocean or across the street. But I think you must believe me when I tell you that God still calls and he still sins like he did with John the Baptist. It's just, are you open to what God is calling you to do? Are you willing for God to to, to move you out of where you are and into the ministry that he's prepared for you? And if we believe that God calls people... If we believe that he sends people, then we must also believe and be ready to receive those whom he sends. Otherwise, why would God send them if he didn't have something to say to us through them? See, when Jesus began his ministry, as as people began to see his miracles and hear him teach, they began to wonder, "Is is this the Messiah? Is this the Son of David? Is this the one that we've been waiting for? And in that moment, they remembered There was a man named John who told us about him. I long for God to speak through me and use his word through me. To to reach the nations, to reach people around the street, to, to proclaim his gospel. I long that one day people would 
would think about how God had redeemed them, how God had saved them, how God had brought his gospel to them. And as they share their testimony with others, they would look back and say, well, there was a man sent by God whose name was Patrick. And how many of others, how many of us would, will, will also say from the ministry of Bear Creek years down the road, how many will say, well, there was a woman sent from God whose name was Bonnie, or, or there was a man sent by God whose name was Steve, or, or there was a man sent by God whose name was Jessica. Whatever the case may be, how many future lives, generations down the road, will look back and say, God saved me because he sent this person to me. Church, be, be open to the calling of God in your life. Because it is special. It is unique. There is nothing like it. But we also must be ready for those whom God sends. Because those whom God sends are special. And they are sent with a special purpose. You see, because John the Baptist was sent from God and even named by God, we must also see that John was given a very special purpose, which we see in verse 7. Verse 7 reads, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Let's just take this, this verse, break it up into three pieces really, really quickly. So John came as a witness to bear witness. This term, witness, is significant throughout the New Testament, but even more so for John. See, this word appears in the New Testament about 113 times, and 77, or 70% of them, come from John's hand. He uses this word, witness, more than any other New Testament writer. In the Greek, this, this word is, is marturion. It's, it's a legal term. It's, it's used in, in courtroom settings. And really, that, that use, that connotation, reveals a lot about the word here. Imagine, if you will, a, a courtroom setting. There's a big case. Everything hangs on eyewitness testimony. And the lawyers are beginning their, their questioning of this witness who has taken the stand and sworn their oath, promised to tell the whole truth. Now, what is being asked of this eyewitness? Is it their opinion on how things happened? Is it, is it what they believe happened? Or is it simply the facts of how things happened? Is the witness called to create their testimony out of thin air or simply relay what they personally experienced and witnessed and saw? You see, a witness does not create things. A witness shares things. They do not share opinions, but they share facts. This is what happened. And this becomes even more relevant when you consider that the Greek word marturian is, is the word that we get our English word martyr from. Men and women across generations and millennia of church history who have died for their faith in Christ. Because they knew they did not create the gospel. When asked to recant, when forced at sword or gunpoint to, to deny their Christ, they say, we can't because I know this to be true. I didn't make it up. It's not an opinion. It is fact. It is truth. You see, when the Romans or persecutors could not acknowledge these facts, these witnesses were made martyrs. 
John was sent as a witness to bear witness. But what was he witnessing about? It says very clearly he was sent as a witness to bear witness about the light. If you were with us last week or saw in verses 1 through 5 that I read this morning, hopefully maybe you have a step up in grasping this, but I, I, if you weren't here, that's okay. Go back and listen to it online. Here, here is the general quick rundown of verses 1 through 5. We see that our world is lost in darkness, but true light has entered our world, and the darkness cannot overcome that light. This light is the Word of God, God Himself comes in the flesh, the Son of God, Jesus. Jesus is this light that has entered. And it is this light, Jesus, that John came to bear witness about, to tell people that this light had come. One commentator says this, that the word in whom and hears the life that is the light of men was first displayed in the public arena of history when a man sent by God bore witness to him. Think about this for just a second. God enters creation, becoming flesh. And the first ones to actually bear witness and tell others that he is here is John the Baptist, is this this man called and commissioned by God to say, the Messiah has come. Now, why would this happen? We see at the end of the verse that all might believe through him. This is far and away the strangest part of the verse. Think about it. Why do people who live in darkness need to be told that light has come? I mean, do you need someone to come to you every morning and tell you that the sun has risen? Or do you simply just open your eyes and see it? A.W. Pink said, When the sun is shining in all its beauty, who are the ones unconscious of this fact? Who need to be told it is shining? The blind. How tragic then when we read that God sent John to bear witness of the light. How pathetic that there should be any need for this. How solemn the statement that men have to be told the light is now in their midst. What a revelation of man's fallen condition. But it's true. It's not only that we live in a land of deep darkness, but that we are blind even to that same darkness. So that when the light finally does come, we don't even realize it unless someone comes and tells us it's here. And then through this witness, the blind come to believe. And believing the blind receives sight. You see, this is how God works. He sends people, he sends men and women to proclaim the beauty of this light to a blind people living in a dark world. And you say, well, why does God do it that way? We didn't have to do it this way. He he could have caused the light to spread in some other way. He could have done it with angels. He could have written the gospel across the sky in big white puffy letters could have caused the wind to speak his gospel but instead god chose to call and send human beings to bear witness about the light you see this is how people come to believe in christ through the testimony of witnesses like john and like you and like me 
Christ is the object of belief. He is the object of faith. We place faith in Him. But God's people, you, me, we are the agents of that belief. This is how God chooses to use to work through and proclaim His gospel. And if it is true of John, then it also must be true of you. In Christ, you are given the same purpose as John the Baptist. To go as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. You are a witness. You're not called to create the message, but to share what's been given to you. You're not called to give your opinion on the matter, but simply the facts of the matter. And this you must do because the people lost in darkness are blind to that fact. They are blind to the fact that the light has come. And God in his sovereign grace and infinite wisdom has determined that the way that the people will believe is through the testimony and witness of of those who see and follow Jesus. So with that said then, let me ask you. Who in your life needs to hear your testimony? Who, who needs to be told that the light has come? Where, where are the blind? Because if, if they are there, then it is your job, Christian. It is your calling. It is your special purpose given to you by God to go and find them and tell them the light has come. John the Baptist was a special man with a special purpose. But we must not forget, he was just a man. And we see this in our our final verse, in verse 8. It says, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. You see, if John the Baptist preached in our time, we would call him a celebrity. He, crowds flocked to hear him preach. To see for themselves this wild man baptizing people and changing lives. He was so captivating that people didn't flock into cities or arenas or walk down the street. They went where he was, out into the wilderness. They stood in the muddy riverside for hours on end just to listen to what this wild man had to say. And in fact, his ministry was so popular, his disciples were so numerous that on into the second generation, or in the second century, excuse me, there were still groups of people who called themselves disciples of John. So think about it. A hundred years after Jesus dies and rises again, there are still people who say, we are disciples of John. Paul meets them. He meets a group of them in Ephesus when he arrives in Ephesus in Acts 19. He meets a group of disciples that were so bent on following John that they had not even heard about Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. They had not even received the Spirit because they were so consumed with following a beheaded man. John's disciples, when John was alive, were so committed to him that they even missed the point of his message altogether. They were so caught up in his status and his position and his ministry and his popularity that when the very man whom John proclaimed arrived and and began his own ministry, Disciples of John were confused. In John 3, we we read this. It says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness. So they're talking about Jesus. 
says, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. They were concerned because Jesus' ministry was growing and John's ministry was shrinking. Say, look, all the people that used to follow you, John, are now following Jesus and we don't really know what this means. And John answered them. said, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. What a, what a, fitting, what a fitting illustration. John explains it to his disciples using a, a wedding as the example. And so imagine the picture that John paints. Imagine going to a wedding. And the, the wedding party, the groomsmen come out and they stand along the stage and the groom is there in the middle ready to receive the bride as she walks down the aisle. And the best man there standing next to the groom knows that his role is there to support the bride and groom, to be there as a witness, to be there as a friend. But imagine the, the shock and the outrage if this best man made the entire ceremony about him drawing attention away from the bride and groom and to himself and and making it so that he is center stage and not the bride and groom. This is what his disciples were were wanting John to do. They're wanting the best man, the, the, the sidekick to come and take center stage. John says to his disciples, I'm not the groom here and I'm not the bride either. This isn't about me. It's about him. I must decrease. I must step to the side so that he must increase and take center stage. And there's such a, as I was thinking about this this week, there's, there's such a danger for us today with this. And just look at, specifically, at the celebrity status of, of so many preachers and pastors and believers today. And a lot of these men and women are serving God faithfully. I don't want to say that popularity means you're not preaching the gospel. God is using them in mighty ways to reach millions of people. But there are some who grab hold of that spotlight and will not allow anyone to push them to the side, not even Jesus. They're the ones who look out and say, This is my church, this is my ministry, these are my followers. And they leave no room on the stage or in their own little kingdom for the actual king to come. And see, here's the thing. We don't have to be a megachurch to struggle with this idol of celebrity. See, I, I know that in my own heart, this, this struggle, this temptation, that even in a town like Mount Pleasant, how this little idol of self-importance can can creep in and just ruin everything. Church, you and I must be on guard against this at all times. Always. Let us be a church that that understands we are not the light, but we are called to bear witness to the light. That we are not saving people to ourselves. We are not building our own little kingdom here. Let it be said of us that we came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
And, you know, with that in mind, this is, there's such an encouragement for us as we consider what evangelism looks like on a personal level. Because if we are not saving people to ourselves, if we are not calling people to come and trust in Patrick or trust in Bear Creek or trust in this church to save them, then we know that the power does not rest in us, but it rests in him who calls us and him who sends us and him who saves us. He is the one who saves. It is his work, not yours. But like a father to his child, he's saying, come help me with this. Probably the most defining description of John the Baptist's ministry comes after his untimely death in John 10. Well, excuse me, in John 10, after his death, Jesus had been in the public eye for quite a while. He had been performing miracles. He had been teaching truth. He had been uh, confronting the Jews. And at one particular point, he says some things that make the Jews very angry. So angry, in fact, that they actually picked up rocks and they said, let's do this. Let's stone him and get it over with. And Jesus again speaks to them, revealing their heart of unbelief, their, their own rejection of the Son of God. And, and seeing all of this, in John 10 it says, The crowds come to Jesus, and they say to one another, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And it says, And many believed in Jesus there. You see, these people witnessed the works and words of Jesus. They remembered what John the Baptist had told them, how John had prepared the way for Christ. And in their reflection, as they think back on everything they've seen, they say, you know, John the Baptist really wasn't anything all that special. He didn't do miracles. He didn't give us any signs. He, he didn't perform any, anything for us to see. But you know what? Everything he told us about this man was true. And many believed right there. I, I pray that this is the legacy of Bethel Bear Creek Reformed Church. I mean, here we are. We're, we're a church that's 276 years old. We have a long history of faithful men and women. But I pray that 200 years from now, that people will look back and let it be said of us, you know, there wasn't really anything special about that church. But everything they said about Jesus was true. They didn't do any signs. They didn't do any miracles. They didn't, they didn't do anything that special. But everything they said about scriptures, about Jesus, about the gospel, about life, about sin, about mercy, about grace... Everything they said was true. I think that one of the most admirable, admirable things about John the Baptist's life and ministry is his understanding of his place and knowing where he sat. He had an incredible ministry. He was a special man sent by God, divinely appointed, even divinely named. And he was given a special purpose to bear witness about the light, to prepare the way of the Lord. No one else was given this special purpose. And for Jesus himself to say there's no one greater born of women than John the Baptist. But even a man as special as this, John himself knew, I'm still just a man. 
Church, you, you are a special people because you are God's people. Chosen, called, redeemed by God, named by Him. And you have been given the same special purpose as John, to bear witness that the light has come. Because here we sit 2,000 years after the light first came, and there's still darkness. There are still people lost in darkness, waiting for someone to tell them the light has come. And in this, you must remember, you're still just people. You can't save people. You can't force faith. You can't speak the right words that will just, in that moment, captivate someone in such the right way that they will place faith in Christ. That is above your pay grade. And praise God that it is. You are not the light. I am not the light. But we bear witness about the light. And the light has, in fact, come, so let us proclaim it. Let us go and tell it everywhere we go. Tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ has come. Tell the world what makes Christmas special. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this word, this challenge. God, we pray that you would give us strength and give us grace to fulfill the the purpose that you have given us. To go as witnesses to bear witness about the light. Father, forgive us for our timidity. Forgive us for our fears, our hesitations. Help us to put these aside and to follow you where you are calling and sending us. Give us grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here at Bear Creek, we respond to the preaching of God's word uh, by taking communion together. And so we have uh, prepackaged elements. Ron is at the back if you need one, just to, to raise your hand, and he'll bring one to you. Um, communion is a is a time that we can gather together and around the table of the Lord. We don't gather because we have arrived. We gather because we have been brought. And so whether or not you're a member of the church, if you are a believer in Christ, you are welcome at the table. Uh, This table is is open to all those that have placed faith in Christ for salvation. And so if that's you, then, then you are welcome. But if that's not you, then for a moment would you consider just not taking this wafer and grape juice? Because these things don't save you. They cannot save you. But Christ can. I pray that this morning you would hear the words of truth that you and I live in a land of darkness, but light has come and the darkness cannot overcome it. The sun is shining again. And I pray that by God's grace your eyes would be open and you see it. And so rather than take a wafer and juice, would you take Christ instead? And if that's you and have... You have questions about what that looks like. I would love to talk to you about it after church this morning. Christian, as you and I come, 
to the table. We come remembering exactly why Christ was born. We celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the birth of Christ, but we cannot truly celebrate Christmas without remembering Easter. Because this is why we have Christmas. Because in the, in the bread, as we come and we take the bread, Jesus told his disciples that this bread is my body which is broken for you. And in the bread we see the cost of our sins. What does it take for light to drive out darkness? It takes the body of Christ broken for you. And in the bread, we look back to the cross. We look back to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, to our salvation. But in the cup, we look forward. We look ahead to the second advent, the advent that we are currently waiting on. When Christ, our King, our Redeemer, will come once more. And He will come not as a baby, He will not come from a virgin's womb, but he will come riding a horse with a sword in his fist. Conquering his enemies once and for all, bringing peace to the entire universe. Where there will be no more pain and no more death, no more tears, no more sadness. Because Christ our King will reign forever and he himself will be our light. Until that day comes, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus the king. Let us sing one more hymn together this morning. Our final hymn is hymn 182. O come all ye faithful. Please stand and sing.
your bulletin is printed for you there, the, the Great Commission. This is our benediction every week. Because as we go from here, we go forward with a very special calling that Christ himself has given his, his disciples. And so I invite you to say the Great Commission aloud with me this morning. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go in grace.